Thank you for listening to the Keystone Church Podcast. For more information about us, you can visit us at mykeystonechurch.com. When I was asking the Lord what I was supposed to talk about today, um, he was like, well, you'll know after the conference. I'm like, well, it's cutting it kind of close, Jesus. And he was like, trust me. I was like, all right. And so... um, so then we got done with our, like, conference, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Now I have, like, six sermons worth of things to talk about, and I'm going to try not to, like, feed through the fire hose today, you know? <laughs> like, too much, too much. But um, just as we were worshiping, I don't know why. I felt like the Lord was just um, encouraging me to share this this story. And so... You know how uh, it's in Revelation, it says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And we've been going through testimonies in, um, in our midweek meetings, and I've been loving that, and that's been so good. But going into, um, into some of the, the harder, deeper parts of the story, it's like, oh, but that's not, that's not all. There's more over here, and there's more over here. And um, it's so good to see God in the deepest, darkest parts, but it's also really cool to see God in, like, some of, like, the, like, tender, just fun parts or the places where God surprises you. And so um, this morning I wanted to start out with a story from when David and I were on the world race. Um, I got super, super, super sick with pneumonia uh, when we were in Africa. And if you've ever been to Africa, you know there's no such thing as a cough drop or cough medicine or... Um, anything like that. And so to have um, pneumonia in Africa is like the worst. <laughs> it's just the worst. And um, so after after I got released from the doctors in Nairobi, we went on to Tanzania and then in Uganda. But I wasn't fully like completely recovered because pneumonia had whooped me and I probably had walking pneumonia before I was diagnosed for probably a week or two. So my system was pretty beat up, and when we were in Uganda, where we were at was a place that is called Sippy Falls, which actually, ironically, there's a lot of Americans who have been to that place, which it's one of the most beautiful jungle waterfalls you've ever seen. Like, it's amazing. Um, but in that region, there is a ton of witchcraft and a ton of... Um, Islamic oppression and so the church is really persecuted there and really like beat down and so um, we get there and we kind of I mean I call I call him Rev he was Reverend Moses and we were like you know one of our teammates was like hey can I call you Mo and um, he was like no and she was like can I call you Rev and he said Rev is okay (laughs) Um, and so Rev, Rev was the hiking pastor, um, and we hiked all over the Ugandan jungle hills, and, um, as we were hiking, I was, like, puffing on my inhaler, like, every 10 seconds, because I couldn't breathe, and, um, before we got to Uganda, as I was laying in my bed with pneumonia, the race was about to send us back home because of how sick I was, and I said, God, I, we've done what you've called us to do. So if, if 
you send us home, I'm going to be sad and I'm going to be disappointed. But I know that we've done enough because we didn't come here to do. We came here to be obedient. And we came here to let you do stuff in us as much as we were doing stuff in the countries we were going to. And as I was laying there and I surrendered it and I laid it down, that took a long time. I mean, I was on, on that bed easily hacking my lungs up for a week. Um, but as we were, um, it was like, oh, okay, things started to slowly get better. And so they kind of were like, we'll let you continue the next month and then we'll reevaluate. And we'll let you continue the next month and we'll reevaluate. And um, so I'm two months out past that and we're in Uganda and we're hiking these hills and I can't breathe. And I'm a singer and like I know how to like use your diaphragm to get the oxygen in, to pump it out. We're in low altitude. Like, I'm a high altitude girl. Like, I am like, listen, body, get it together. We've got something to do. Because when I got out of bed from with pneumonia, I was like, God has us here for another month. Then he must have something for us that we have yet to accomplish together. And as we get to Uganda and we're hiking over all these hills and – it was like every day I was just like, God, I don't know if I can do this again today. I'm so exhausted. My body is not fully well. And every day it was just like there was just enough strength and just enough strength. And so Rev and another teammate and I um, branch off from David and the other part of the crew, and we start hiking. Um, and we thought we were on the shorter, easier hike, and I think it ended up being the harder, more difficult hike. And so that was great. And I'm just like, <gasps> and I just started like tromping through the hills. Jesus, thank you that you've called me here with a purpose. Thank you that despite the nasty food and the hard places to sleep, <laughs> that you have called us here for a purpose. <gasps> and so we get to this place and somebody kind of meets us on the road. And it's so biblical. Like when you're in Africa, like, I mean, am I wrong? You're like going down a path and you feel like you're in the Bible times. Am I wrong? Anybody else been to Africa? No? Okay. And, and like all of a sudden, somebody will just kind of pop out of the bushes and there's no house nearby. They're, they're like, hey, what are you doing here? And you're like, there's no village. Like, where did you come from? And so a lady kind of popped out of the bushes and she was like, oh, you're from the West. I had a dream about you. God sent an angel to me in my dream and told me you're going to come tell my neighbors about Jesus. And I'm like, I look at my teammate and I'm like, I am so not equipped for this. <laughs> like, oh boy. And so we, we're like, okay. And so she's like, follow me. <laughs> it was kind of like, come with me if you want to live. It kind of felt like that. Like, you don't have any other choice. Let's go. And so we start going down this path and pretty soon we come to kind of a patch where there's like, you know, some huts. And so we get up there, and, like, she's like, hold on, stay here. I'm going to go gather my neighbors. So within about 20 minutes, we're sitting there, and I'm just getting, like, my nerves are just creeping up. I'm just like, Jesus, what are you doing? I can't even breathe right now. And my teammate's a quieter one, so, like, I kind of knew if it's to be, it's up to me. <laughs> and Rev was like, now you have time to prepare. I'm like, okay, good, thanks for that 20 minutes. And um, pretty soon, there's, like, a village worth of people. There's probably a handful of people, like, in this room right now. And so they're all sitting down on the dirt. There's kids Milo and Conrad's age um, playing with machetes in the dirt, just 
whacking away at things. And so I'm also interceding now for the small children and their fingers and other bits and parts and the people next to them. And <laughs> it's just like, it's just already a circus. And then there's just this old man who's like, looks like he came out of National Geographic. Like, I mean, just, you can tell that man had been through something. And it was like, whoa. And the Lord like highlighted him to me. And I said stuff that probably was like, eh, and prophesied a couple eh things. And it wasn't like this amazing, like, Holy Ghost, like, ah, moment. In fact, it was actually really, like, kind of not anticlimactic because God showed up in the littleness and in the smallness. But it wasn't like people started falling out and people, like, you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, a couple people got saved, a couple prophetic words, but people were encouraged. When we found out that the woman who had invited us all there lived with her son. And so we're sitting in her son's yard, and the son is Islamic. He won't allow her to go to church um, because she believes in Jesus. And so she's been kind of held hostage. If she wants a place to live, she can't go worship God the way she wants to worship. And so instead, God brought the worship to her. And as we were singing this morning, I was like, God would put two, like, wide-eyed, you know, Western girls in the middle of Africa up on the mountain with Rev. (laughs) And he'd just plop us there just so that lady could be encouraged and filled and worship the Lord and her Jesus and love her neighbors in a way that was tangible to her. Like, and when I walked away from that, I was like, oh my goodness. God, forgive me when I have evaluated what you have done or not done or where you've shown up or how you've shown up in a big way or in a small way. And like, just I just repented because, because it was like the most incredible, beautiful, light, easy spiritual warfare I'd ever seen. But I was standing on a Muslim man's land preaching the name of Jesus in a place where, pe- where the Muslims kill the Christians on the regular. And as a woman standing on his land preaching Jesus in a place where women are consistently mutilated by the Muslim men because oh, it's just awful. It was just incredible. But all I did was show up when I didn't think I could really make it up the mountain. And I partnered with Holy Spirit and what he wanted to do. And yeah, there are a couple people who came to Jesus and a couple people who got a little bit closer to him. But it was on it was on the land of the enemy and it was so effortless and easy. Like that that actual action of it was like I didn't even have time to check into the spiritual atmosphere or to ask the Lord for a sermon or anything. Like, I showed up, pulled out my Bible, and held on for dear life, hoped that the Lord would bring enough to encourage them to make it worth their time. And he did it, and it was gorgeous, and it was beautiful. And just as we were singing, like, this is how I fight my battles. Like, 
wouldn't daddy just be that amazing that he would send somebody from across the planet just to go have a worship service on the mountainside? Anyway, just blew me away. So, um, I just want to remind us this morning that Jesus said that he would be here. And so we're going to look for him this morning. So Jesus, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you are with us. And we're going to look for your hand in our lives this morning. You said wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you are here. So we welcome your presence. We welcome what you want to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I love that so much. Thanks, Lincoln. Um, so we are going to talk about, and I, I really argued with the Lord on this, um, but he, he won, so that's good, um, about dealing with disappointment. It's not an easy subject. I was like, Lord, you give David the easy and fun stuff, like the presence of God. Jesus is like, talk about disappointment. Okay, good. So hang in there with me, guys. All right. Um, we're going to start with our definition of disappointment. Um, to disappoint is to fail to fulfill the hopes or expectations or to prevent hope or expectation from being realized. I really liked that definition. To prevent hopes or, or expectations from being realized. And I think when we talk about disappointment and we talk about, um, well, first of all, I don't think we address disappointment in the church very often, which is one of the reasons why I think we're talking about this today. I think we talk a lot about um, declarations. We talk a lot about going after the big things. We could talk a lot about um, how good it's going to be when we get there, whatever there is, right? Whenever we accomplish what God's put on our heart to do as a church. But we don't often, um, unless you come equipped with tools to deal with disappointment, as believers, we don't often get to kind of experience disappointment fully armed, right? So we got to go through some disappointments before <laughs> we get to learn some of those tools sometimes. Or a lot of times we just move past the disappointments and go, oh, I don't know what to do with that. This doesn't quite fit in the puzzle, so I'm just going to move on. And we just kind of go past it. And pretty soon we find, oh, like self-protection is coming in. And kind of this extra padding of insulation, like, well, if I don't try and I don't step out, then I won't be disappointed. So that'll be nice. And we kind of find ourselves insulated, but not insulated in a good way that, like, keeps our house warm. Insulated or maybe isolated from the opportunity that God might have for us or maybe from relationships. You know, I mean, David and I have, have been the rounds through um, a couple of major, major church transitions in our time together. And something we realized was like how much the Lord has allowed us to be near leaders who are not 
um, who fail, like big, you know? Um, you guys could probably think of a really big church here in the city who's had a pretty big moral failing, you know, in the last 20 years. And um, and not not even a couple of us have in this room ha- were there to experience it firsthand. Um, and in that place, it's like, yeah, we got to rebuild. We've got to we've got to get back up. We've got to move on. But there's also this place of like, okay, but what about that huge mess? <laughs> that that thing that was built that's now laying in shambles that nobody knows what to do with anymore. And the Lord has kind of taught David and I a lot about dealing with disappointment through experience. And that's been really interesting. And for me, you can ask David, my tendency when I'm hurt or my tendency when I'm disappointed or my tendency when something doesn't go the way I planned, I'm really good about saying, you know what? The expectations I've had, right? Because our definition is, Disappointment is the prevention of hopes or expectations. So what I hoped or expected didn't happen, so I know what I'll do. And I take the, to the extreme a really great leadership principle, which is don't have any expectations. And it's an okay leadership principle. Um, but what happens? So then I'm like, cool, I'll just expect nothing. I'll go to church and I'll expect nothing. I'll go, if I expect nothing from my kids, <laughs> are they going to be grow, are they going to grow up to be capable uh, adults who contribute to society? If I expect nothing from my kids? No. Are they, are they going to do more damage than good to the world around them? Probably so. But if I have expectations of them, what happens? They have something to live up to. They have something to aim for. They have something to reach. Do they instantly attain that the second I give them an expectation? No. And there's, so there's this tension of you've got to have expectations. You've got to have hopes. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a longing in your heart. But you also can't put all your eggs in that basket. Like go all in, which is my tendency. Go all in one way or pull all out the other way. Not much middle ground. And so the Lord's had to teach me a lot about how to hold hope even when disappointment happens and even when disappointment enters. But first, we've got to name the disappointment, right? So in my life, like, um, the moral failing of a pastor who you know, we had, we'd gone all in. David was on staff. Like, we were committed to the vision, committed to the cause, committed to whatever. And that disappointment, man, that didn't just mess with our 10-year plan. That messed with the 10-year plans of everybody we knew and everybody we were in the community with. And we had, But we had to name it and say, you know what? I'm disappointed that the call of God on his life was, was, um, yeah, I was going to say it's not forfeit, but it's diverted, substantially diverted because of some decisions that he made that affected a whole lot of people. That was a huge disappointment, but I had to, I had to own the fact that that was a disappointment in my heart. If we don't name it, we give power 
to it, which is interesting because have you ever heard the, um, the saying, um, the monster under the bed is scarier than the monster you're staring in its face, right? What's unseen, what's unnamed, what's gone unaddressed actually has more power than what you call out and say, I'm disappointed about this because it begins to lose its hold. And we have to acknowledge that we had an expectation that didn't go our way. When we were talking about um, having expectations, the Lord told me a couple years ago, he said, if you don't have skin in the game, you won't play to win. And I was like, well, that's a good quotable thing. I'm going to write that down, Jesus. But what I've had to chew on that for probably, I don't know, two years now, and say, Lord, what does that mean? Like, what are you trying to teach me? And what are you trying to teach people around me? And he's like, Jesus Jesus was all in. Jesus was all in on his mission. Jesus didn't show up to a village going, well, if, if God wants to do something, cool. Let the Lord will it. No, he said, where I am, kingdom is going to happen. That's some serious skin in the game. And if we're called as believers to be like Jesus, then where I am, his kingdom come and his will be done. But a huge component of that is learning that when it doesn't happen perfectly 100% the way I think it's going to happen is having the maturity and to be able to hold in tension those two things of I have to expect I have to have skin in the game or I'm not going to care. You know, like when when my dad was dying of cancer and we knew he was dying like it was like God had healed him he had seven good more years that he should not have had like that was miraculous and then he was going downhill and downhill fast and I was like Lord like I don't even know how to pray for his healing anymore because I'm I'm afraid I'm afraid that you're not going to answer it I'm afraid that I'm going to be disappointed and God was like go after it Go after it again. And you know what he did? He didn't heal my dad physically in his body. But those last two years of his life, he healed his emotions. And he did so much work in my parents' marriage that was super broken and super, super dysfunctional. And God began to just realign relationships for my dad. And there was so much healing. Healing that I didn't, I didn't have the hope necessarily for my dad to have relational healing. I actually... Could act, it was easier for me to wrap my mind around the physical healing in his body come manifest than his emotional healing. And yet God did something completely different. But you know what? Every time we're praying for somebody with cancer, I have an opportunity to address that and say, the outcome I went after didn't happen. It didn't. I wanted him healed in his body. I wanted him to meet his grandkids. He didn't meet his grandkids from me. And I wanted that. But I also can see the beauty of what God did instead. So when I go after cancer, I say, it's not in heaven, and I don't want it here. But 
that requires some skin in the game. That requires some investment from me. And if I'm isolated and insulated and self-protecting, then I can't have skin in the game. And I can't have my, I can't have expectations or hold hope for what God might do. The feeling of disappointment is not wrong. But not addressing disappointment can cause the wound to fester and to grow. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Ah, you guys have heard me talk about this one. This one is one of my favorites. I mean, listen, I'm a get-to-the-point, I'm a long-winded, get-to-the-point kind of girl. I want it black and white, right? (laughs) I want it black and white, and I love Proverbs for it because it's just, I mean, I mean, I could just, we could just be done. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. But what does that tell us about deferred hope? If it makes your heart sick, what, what do you need when you're sick? You need some medicine. You need some help. You need some, something to come and bring healing, right? You can't just leave the sick, because if you leave the sick, it's going to rot and get everywhere. In fact, hope is the belief that the future is better than the present, and I have the power to make it so. I'm going to say that again. Hope is the belief that the future is better than the present, and I have the power to make it so. I would also add on to that, I have the power to partner with Holy Spirit to make that so, which I think is kind of inferred, right? Like, We just assume that when I'm saying about me, I'm not talking about my own strength and like mustering it up. Nothing good comes from Catherine's strength. (laughs) Beautiful thing happens when we co-labor with Christ and in his strength we bring it so. Does that make sense? I think an, uh, a really great example of unprocessed disappointment is King Saul. Um, King Saul, we know um, he, he had like, he was anointed king. He has a couple of wins against um, the enemies of Israel. And one of those, he's like mid-battle. So like they won one battle, but they're about to go out to another battle. And Samuel said, wait for the sacrifice. Wait, and I will come sacrifice to the Lord before you go to part two of the battle. And Saul is sitting there, and the men of Israel are getting antsy, and they're kind of like, cool, if you don't need us anymore, we're going to go home. And so Saul, in his own strength, and out of alignment with what Samuel had said, um, sacrifices to the Lord, keeps all of the people there, which is what, what his goal was. He wanted to rush it, get it done. And right as he finishes sacrificing to the Lord, Samuel shows up and he's like, what did you do? And because you disobeyed God, you've lost the kingship. And God's going to give it to another man, a man after his own heart, which we later know as David. And so he gets the kingship taken away. um, But over the process of time, like, that's some substantial disappointment. I mean, 
Listen, as a parent, I'm very aware of when I give my kids consequences that will provide disappointment. Like, to to almost to a fault. Like, sometimes I almost want to protect them from the disappointment because of the ramifications that it will cause me or the inconveniences it will cause me, right? Like, if I'm like, I'm so sorry that you made this choice, but now you can no longer do this fun thing that everybody else gets to do. Like, that's that's a weighty consequence, man. And sometimes it's got to happen, right? Like, try not to make them very often, but we try to make them count. And I feel like that's what happened with Saul. Like, did Saul lose the call? Like, did Saul lose completely disconnect from God? Yeah, kind of. Did he have a choice to reconnect and repent and do the best with what he could? Yeah, he did. And we don't really see him doing that. What we see is um, him losing his peace and being troubled by an evil spirit, right? We see him kind of going crazy after um, David has had success. Like, he then kind of aims his disappointment towards a person, which is David. And it kind of makes sense. He's kind of like, if it weren't for you, I'd still be king. God wouldn't be taking away the kingship from my family, from my lineage, right? But he was still king, and he wasn't focused on, I'm going to do the best with what I've got for the season I've got it. He was like, you're the problem, and I'm coming after you. And so he aimed all of his disappointment at David, and he kind of ravaged the country, going after David, trying to find him in all these places, and it was a mess. He made a mess, and it cost him. It cost him his peace. It cost the kingdom's resources hunting David down. I wonder what would have happened. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm like, put this one in the questions box for the Lord when we get to heaven. Lord, what would have happened if Saul had made a different decision? <laughs> what would have happened if he said, oh my gosh, I've sinned. God, what I, I, I know I can't undo what I've done. But what can I do now to be a blessing to this nation, to steward the time that you've given me well? And instead, he and his son Jonathan die, and it's, I mean, it's a tragic story. The only person that's left, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, Mothibosheth. Mo. Um. It's interesting because I feel like the Lord gives us so many good stories in the Bible to glean so many good principles from. Um, and it's so easy to talk about the easy, amazing victories and like the fun, woohoo, points. And if anybody is like, you know, has a little bit of that prophetic bent, you know that there's high highs, but there's also some low lows. And so there's some things like you can go to high heights with the Lord, but there's some, there's some like, let down. There's some like, like that has to happen after those really high highs sometimes. And I think of um, Elijah and how, you know, he gets all those, uh, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, and he calls fire down from heaven and it burns the sacrifice. He whoops. I mean, he blows those guys out of the water. Then there, all the priests are killed. I mean, it's like victory. And then Jezebel's like, listen, you better run, boy, because I'm after you. And Elijah runs. 
and he runs into the wilderness, and he runs after, um, and Jezebel said, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life, and when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came out, oh yeah, he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. And like, man, I I can relate to Elijah. Like, Jesus and I can have some high highs, but man, sometimes when you're low, you can get really low. (laughs) And it feels so heavy sometimes. And he just bore his heart out to the Lord, and I think sometimes we forget that in our disappointment, we insulate and self-isolate, and we try and protect and try and avoid instead of just running to the Lord. You know, I would have really have loved Elijah to have had a community around him to say, you're safe, let us speak some truth into you. The prophets that were alive, the prophets of the Lord, were still hiding out probably at that point. But Elijah felt really alone. But what I love is this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Listen, that is my love language. Just If I were just to like fall asleep so sad and then wake up and there just be warm, hot food right there, ready for right by my head, just yes, Lord. Um, but no, but what I want to draw attention to is one, he was disappointed, but he brought his disappointment to the Lord. And I think there are some things that he could have done differently, and we can evaluate all of that, but we got to bring it out. We, not just into the light, not just talk about our friends, talk about it to our friends, because disappointment can be sticky. Have you ever experienced sticky disappointment? Oh, I'm so disappointed with so-and-so. They just really let me down, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I just feel, and then somebody else is like, oh, my gosh, you too? Oh. I felt really disappointed. And you know what else I felt disappointed about in addition to all you just listed? This. And then you're like, oh, yeah. And it just begins to get kind of sticky. And sticky disappointment that's undealt with, well, first of all, a sticky mess is harder to clean up than a non-sticky mess. Okay? Honey, Kool-Aid spilt, think about all the sticky things. But an unsticky mess is like, no big deal. You just wipe that sucker up, right? But when it's sat, it begins to harden. It begins to get bitter. It begins to just get stuck. But all at once, an angel touched him, and he said, get up and eat. And he looked around. Oh, I already read that. So what I love about that is that God met met needs he didn't know he had. (laughs) Elijah had just been wrung out for the Lord. Elijah comes to the Lord. He's like, I just, I just want to die. He brought it to the Lord instead of somebody else, instead of complaining. You never once hear uh, Elijah complain about Ahab and Jezebel to anybody. 
And they were some really, really bad leaders. I mean, they make our current leaders and the options for electing their leaders <laughs> really rough. <laughs> they look way worse. <laughs> and I'm just really glad that I don't live in Israel at the time of Ahab and Elijah because I don't know if I could have done that, if I could have just taken my complaint to the Lord and just taken my disappointment to the Lord like Elijah did. I hope I would. I hope I had the character to do that. But sometimes after a big victory, we get a backlash from the enemy um, and disappointment can sneak in. And sometimes we just need some food and a nap before we need to address anything else. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like Sometimes it's like if in the middle of our heartache, I would just love the body of Christ. And maybe this is something we can do in our community and we can just pass it on. Like if somebody starts to complain about somebody and there's like, now listen, in a safe place with one or two people of confidence, expressing your disappointment can be okay. But it's, it's, it's small. And other than that, wouldn't it be amazing if we said, hold on, it sounds like you're really disappointed. Why don't you go take a nap? I'm going to make dinner for you. <laughs> and then let's talk about it after. <laughs> I'm just saying, I feel like that could be great. What I love is that Elijah was like, I'm ready to die, God. I'm the only one left. And God was like, okay, but you're not done. And then there's like a lot more chapters about Elijah's story. Like he was not, he was not released from his mission because he experienced disappointment. And I kind of wonder, and this is completely conjecture, but I kind of wondered like, God, you eliminated through, through my obedience um, the prophets of the Baal and Asherah. Could you not have just wiped out Ahab and Jezebel? Could we have just been done? And God wouldn't do it. In fact, in a couple chapters later, God actually gives Ahab a promise that he wouldn't die for a while. And I would, if I were Elijah, I would be kind of mad about that. I would be disappointed. Like, Lord, they were the ones who brought this stuff in in the first place. Seems to me, let's stop it at the source. But he didn't. And then he gave Elijah more missions. He was like, yep, it's okay that you want to die. It's okay that, you, that you're struggling, that you feel like you're the only one left, even though the last chapter just said that there was 100 prophets left in Israel, at least, right? So 101 prophets are left in Israel. They haven't all been wiped out. You still have more on your plate to do, buddy, and it's okay. And God doesn't really even directly address it. Like, he brings them out, he draws them out, he has a couple encounters with him, and then he kind of just picks back up and carries on with his mission. And I just, I'm like, wow, I think there might have been something unprocessed there, but maybe not. Maybe that was enough. Maybe sometimes we overdo our processing of disappointment before we carry on with the mission. Or do we release ourselves from the mission before our commander has released us from the mission because of our disappointment? Okay, we're going to jump, okay, um, so we just talked about Elisha, Elijah, now we're going to talk about Elisha, and what I love about Elisha is we know he got the double portion anointing from Elijah, and we know that he carried on in the works and the acts of Elijah, but, and I think, I don't know, a few months ago we talked about um, how Elijah healed the widow's son, brought him back from the dead. 
what I didn't realize until this week was that Elisha also brings a son back from the dead. Um, anyway, so we're going we're gonna to learn about the Shuamite woman. And what I love, and I feel like we, well, never mind. I'm not going to jump ahead. So anyway, um, the Shunanite woman talks to her husband, and she's like, Elisha is a prophet of the Lord. He's a man of God. Uh, we want to build a, ro- a room for him onto our house. So whenever he comes by here, he's a place to lay his head. He's got a safe place. He can be restored here. We can serve him and meet his needs while he's here. And so she just does that. Like, it was just something that was in her heart to do, and her husband was like, cool, do it. And they, they build him a room, and whenever it says whenever he went by there, um, he, he stayed there. And so Elisha is so, like, touched by her, just her consideration and her honor for him that he wants to, like, pay her back. And so he's like, well, what do you want? Do you want to go before the king? Do you want... Um, to be honored by the elders? Do you want, like, he's like, I've got access and influence. What do you want? What can I give you in return? And she's like, nothing. It is well. So then he goes to his servant, and he's like, which I kind of love this. He's like, hey, you've got an in with, like, the people in the community more than I do. What does this woman need that she doesn't have? And his servant said, well, she doesn't have a son. And her husband is old. And so um, Elisha tells her, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. And she said, no, my Lord. She objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. She's like, God, don't, like, Elisha, please don't awaken hope that could falter again. Like, I'm good. She said, it is well. I don't need anything from you. She didn't ask for anything. She didn't say, hey, I've got a list. Like, man, I've always got a list. I'm like, girl, I don't know. But I loved it. I loved that even if she did have a list, she's like, I'm good. I'm content. I'm okay. And, and so, but she says, don't awaken my hope. Don't awaken it. I, I don't, I don't want to be misled again. And what I want to point out is that many times that tension between disappointment and hope is right there. Of, here we go again. Here we go again. God, I don't know if I have the strength to hold on to that hope for that promise. Has anybody ever given you a prophetic word that you've heard a hundred times? And you're like, I don't I don't know, please don't mislead me. And you almost, you almost want to give that prophetic word back and say, yeah, I'm okay, I'm content. And if you reawaken that in me, I don't know if I can get back to contentment again. I don't know if I can get back to that place. That was where she was at. What's crazy is, is that she didn't fully reject the word. And she has a son in her arms a year later. What I, what I love about that, too, that kind of goes unspoken and kind of is like, well, duh, is that she had to participate with that prophetic word. <laughs> Am I right? 
She couldn't have conceived unless she was participating. And, um, and I, I love that because I feel like there is an action of hope. There is a proactive, we almost always, God gives us a promise. Maybe it's been a, a brand new promise or maybe it's been a promise that we've have been unfulfilled for years. There's still a choice that we get to make. Father God and Holy Spirit, they're gentlemen, right? They're not going to make you do. Now, they might highly in, encourage you, <laughs> right? Have you, I've had a holy nudge before, but I got to still choose to participate. He's not going to make me do something I don't want to do. And she could have lost out on her promise if she didn't have the hope for what Elisha had said. So anyway, she has a son, everything is well, and then her son dies. And I'm like, Lord, why are you putting two back-to-back promised child, son died? I mean, there's like a lot of them in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? Child was promised, then they're taken away. Isaac, (laughs) the widow's son, Shumamite woman, all these places. But I think this is a practice of, of dealing with our disappointment and growing our muscle to be able to handle what God wants to do. Because we cannot contain in this house, we cannot contain what God wants to do if we're not willing to go after it. And then when it looks different than we want it to, and we have disappointment about it, be able to process that disappointment with maturity. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's really important. And that's something the Lord wants to teach us. And so she goes to the prophet, and I love this, because she goes to the prophet, and he's like, what's the matter? And he says, all is well. She says, all is well. It's good. I'm good. He's like, how's your son and your husband? All is well. I'm like, liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) It's not well. But she said, all is well. And I think what she was doing was actually not walking in denial. What she was walking in was, God gave me this promise, and he's either going to make this promise right, or he's going to give me something better. And so she held expectation, but she held expectation open-handedly instead of holding expectation. I hold expectations sometimes like this. Here's my expectations. David's like, what's the matter with you? Well, I had these expectations. Well, can't be very flexible with those expectations, can you? Unless you're doing this, right? And if God wants to take a promise from us, he will replace it with something better. He's not going to give you a gift, right? Doesn't it say, is it Romans that it says the gifts of God are irrevocable? And we see consistently throughout scripture, God gives a promise, and when that promise is taken away, it's restored somehow. But usually after proactive obedience. And so, she's like, it's well. God's going to make it right. It's going to be all right. And then he's like, all right, well, let's go to your house and find out that it's well. Because he's like, something's up but the Lord won't show me. So he goes to the house, and he finds the son. She laid him on the prophet's bed, and he goes, and he lays on him, 
And he prays, and he lays on him again, and the sun begins to warm, and he's healed. He comes back to life. And God gave her her son back. He gave her her promise back. I think about Abraham and the trust he had with the Lord to say, here's your baby, here's your promised child, here's the one that all, all of Israel's prophecy, all of what I want to do with an entire nation, all of God's people hinges on Isaac. Here you go. Take care of that baby. No pressure. <laughs> and what happens? He's like, all right, it's time to lay it down. He had a choice. He could have hang on, hung on to Isaac. He could have not laid Isaac down in the altar. And what did he do? Through obedience, he provided, right? He provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac. Our church is a hope-based church. Something in David and I both have had to contend for is hope. And the Lord's definitely had us go a few rounds in the ring to contend for hope in really dark, really difficult places. And what that means is that we have expectations. We don't pray and ask God to heal somebody. Oh, Jesus, pray. Heal David, blah, blah, blah. If you want, if it's your will. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to condemn people who say that. I've for sure prayed that prayer before. God, I want what you want. <laughs> so if you could help me want what you want more than what I want, that would be great. <laughs> but I'm talking about those flopsy, flimsy prayers because we've been disappointed. You know, if you find yourself praying floppy prayers, it's probably because you've experienced some disappointment you haven't dealt with with the Lord yet. And we, we want to contend for hope. You know, somebody said, um, faith is having all of your eggs in one basket. Oh, crap, what did it say? And hope is, is holding the expectation that even if what happens in that basket doesn't go down the way you want it, that good things are going to still come. Right? And it was said better, but um, that was essentially the point. No, it's okay. I think many times when we're dealing with disappointment, we forget that not just naming the disappointment, but acknowledging that we've allowed lies to enter in with that, to align with that disappointment. So we allow things to go. You know, I, I shared my, my story last week, and when I said, oh, promiscuity, pastoral promiscuity is following me from wherever, whatever church I go to, that was a lie. God was doing amazing things in a bunch of other churches that I had been to, and he wasn't following me. I had some wounds I needed to deal with, but there was a lie that was starting to get in there because my thinking was out of alignment. Many times when we experience hope, it's like, you know, when you go to the chiropractor and they're like, oh my gosh, you need to come in every day for a couple of weeks. You're like this, and you should be like this. We'll get you fixed up, but you need to be consistent, right? And so you go in and you're consistent for a while, because 
your, you know, your back is out of alignment and it hold your muscles have been taught to hold that alignment. And your thinking does the same thing. When you've experienced disappointment in a specific area, maybe it's this, uh, at the area of leadership, that leaders are always going to fail you. Or maybe it's in the area of miracles, right? Um, or whatever it is, healing. Wherever you've entered into disappointment, there's things that can kind of, those muscles kind of come around it and learn how to function and it's survival instead of thriving. And in order to get back aligned, we've got to repent, which is what? Thinking differently. Can you just think one thought differently and it undoes all of the disappointment thoughts that you've had? No. You've got to make, take steps of action that consistently align yourself with the way God thinks, right? We've got to consistently align ourselves with his truth. But we've got to release those lies. We've got to renounce them. And then we've got to get that truth. And we've got to say, Father God, my thinking can be out of whack sometimes. Help me to think your thoughts. Help me to get the way that you think. We have to let the Holy Spirit renew our mind so that we can think like he does. Bill Johnson says, when I entertain thoughts that are in conflict with God, I am actually feeding that which wars against the mind of Christ. When I entertain thoughts that are in conflict with God, I am actually feeding that with which wars against the mind of Christ. I would say that that's some pretty powerful spiritual warfare that just happens right here with misaligned thinking. So, this morning I really sense that the Lord wants to just bring up for us some disappointments maybe we've passed over. Maybe we've like, maybe we've just passed over them. We've just kept going and didn't even realize that we've been having disappointment. Maybe some of us are finding ourselves insulated or isolated because of disappointment. Or maybe we're in like the bitterness category because, you know, disappointment is bitterness in diapers. (laughs) It's baby bitterness. (laughs) And I say that, I'm like laughing, but it's not funny. Bitterness is like a destroyer. It's, it's like a cancer, and it grows. And so this morning, um, can you turn on some music for us or play for us? Um, I just really sense the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us a little bit. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We know you're here but we acknowledge that you're here. Holy Spirit, right now I ask that you would minimize distractions in this room. We acknowledge your peace here. We thank you that you have blessed us with hope. I 
And Father, right now I ask that you would bring to mind disappointments that we've passed over, disappointments that we've used to insulate and isolate, disappointments that we've wrestled with and have thrown the towel in and say, I don't understand this, and because I don't understand, I can't risk it again. And just as the Lord is is speaking, if you have a disappointment that's come to your mind, I want you to hold your hands out like you're ready to receive a gift. Hold that disappointment out to the Lord. Let him name it. If you can name it, name it. But the invitation is to let it go.